The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. In Mark, the sixth chapter, we read this in verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Thomas Wolfe wrote a book entitled, You Can't Go Home. And that's a saying we often hear uh, many times. And the thought behind it is kind of a sad thought, bittersweet thought, if you think about it, that once you move out and you move on, when you come back, things are always a little different. And, and truly, you can't go home to, to what it was when you were there. Things change. Time moves on. Sometimes you come back and people die. Sometimes you come back and people have changed and circumstances have changed. And if nothing else, you have changed. <laughs> you can't go home. But uh, I use that simply to, to, to bring us to this thought tonight. Can you go home? Now remember where we are in the Gospel of Mark. We've just finished up a display of Jesus' awesome power. Uh, he's just completed four miracles, four miracles that displayed his authority and his power and demonstrated that he was who he said he was, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how Mark starts the whole book. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and, and to, to kind of bring it into modern uh, terms, the word gospel means good news. And, and so what he's saying is, hey, the good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. <laughs> That's the best news that there is. That's the best news there could possibly be because what we're reading about here in the Gospel of Mark is, is a simple message about a simple uh, uh, account of how that we as God's children are saved for eternity. But it also gives us some insight in how we're to live here and now. Because what he goes on to say is, the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is it's in, it's at your fingertips, so to speak. It's here and now. And I want to say to you tonight, that's still the case. It's still the good news. Jesus Christ is still the Son of God, and the kingdom of God is still at your fingertips. It's still here and now. 
But here we find, after all of this power, after all of this glorious display of his divinity and his authority, he goes home. <laughs> he goes to the place where he grew up. And the statement there in verse 5 is that he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. So what gives? We just saw he has power over the winds and the waves. He has power over the demons. He has power over sickness. He even has power over death, but yet he comes home and he could there do no mighty work. And what that literally means is he was not able there to do it. But what, but what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Well, first of all, I want you to know from this that Jesus' power was undiminished. His power was no less in Galilee, in his hometown, than it was when he was raising the daughter of Jairus. No less power. So why was it that he there could do no mighty work? Matthew kind of gives us a little more insight into it. And in Matthew chapter 13, and it says in verse 58, after he's made the same pronouncement that a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house, it says he did not there, or he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It was not a matter of ability. It was not a matter of Jesus' ability to perform these miracles. It was a matter of his authority to do it. It was not that he had no power to do it here, but it was that he did not have the intention or the authority to do it here in the absence of faith. Now, I want you to think... Listen to me carefully. The faith of men does not restrict the power of God. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what he's teaching. That's what many in the world would teach. If you just got enough faith, God will perform miracles in your life. It's all up to you. It's all about you. It's not all about you. Jesus Christ has the, has the power to perform miracles in any way he wants to, in any place he wants to. But under his own set of rules or his own uh, approach to things in the normal course of things, doesn't mean he can't make an exception, but in the normal course of events, he will not work in your life if you are living a faithless life. Don't expect to see the power of God in your life if you don't have faith in him that he has that power. He just normally is not going to do it. Can he? Absolutely he can. He can reach down. He can perform miracles. He can do anything he wants to. But here we see the normal course of Jesus' approach to men. And that's that he's, he's not going to be acting in this way. Uh, he's not going to be performing his divine power or displaying his divine power in places where people aren't looking for the display of his divine power. That ought to tell us something. Listen, I mean, look at what happened here. Here they had disrespected his authority. They had disrespected his divinity. They said, we know him. <laughs> look at verses 2 and 3. From whence hath this man these things? This is not a, an awesome, an all-filled statement. Oh, wow, look at what he's doing. This is, this is, a, this is a dismissive statement. 
This is a scornful statement. From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? You, you ask me, why do you think this was a scornful statement? Because of the next, the next verse. Listen to this. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? You know what that is? That's a jab at Jesus. Usually you'd say that's Joseph's son, you know. That's, uh, that's, that's the man that usually reference the father. But see, what they're doing is they're, they're making a statement here of their belief that he was an illegitimate child, that he was born of fornication. You know, later on in John, you'll read where those Pharisees come to him and they say, we be not born of fornication. The implication being like you were, <laughs> like you were. <clears throat> See, their objections are, we know him too well to believe that he's some kind of prophet. <laughs> he's, you know, I used this before. I remember my kids used to say, oh, they think, he thinks he's all that. Well, that's kind of the way they feel about Jesus. He thinks he's all that. He's not all that. He, he has no... We know this man. We know where he's, where he's from. And, 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 and verse 4, Jesus sums it up by saying, Hey, a prophet's not without honor. But in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And beloved, that is a true statement, but it is an unfortunate statement. It really is. Do you know that sometimes... Let's, let's, let's step away from Jesus for a minute. Do we not sometimes impose our own expectations on a person based on some assumptions, most of the time ungodly and unbiblical assumptions and experiences? This is Mary's son. We know where he came. We know his folks. We know where he came from. There's no way he could be this wise or this powerful. There's no way he could be a, a real prophet. You know, we've got to be careful about that. Jesus here, okay, if, let me just say it to you young men, the, you young, you older men that are preachers, <laughs> you young men that the Lord may call to preach, or anybody that's trying to share the gospel with anybody, if they said it about Jesus, they may say it about you. You know, I've heard, I've heard it said today, or said before, that uh, uh, Brother Buddy, I think, is the one that shared this with me, um, you know what the definition of a big preacher is? It's a little preacher who's at least 100 miles from home. <laughs> That's a big preacher, okay? If you, you know, I'm a, out in California, brother buddy, I'm a big preacher. <laughs> Down here, I'm kind of at the bottom of the totem pole. But out there, boy, I, hey, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm 2,000 miles from home. You know, I can, just, I can just hear them saying, and I'm sure people today, people here today in this community, in this county, well, so that's just, that's old Chris McCool. There's no way. We know him too well to listen to him. Now, now that's, a, that's a warning to us in one way, that we ought to live in a way that people would want to listen to us. We ought to maintain our reputations as preachers and pastors in such a way that people would want to. But it's also a warning to those uh, in the congregation or those in the community to be careful about how you judge somebody. I'm sure somebody said, that was old Matthew. That's Levi. That's Matthew. He was a publican. I'm not listening to him. I know what he used to do. 
You know, there's a lot of things I used to do. I'm sure Brother Buddy could tell you there's a lot of things he used to do. I'm sorry to tell you there's some things I still do that I am not proud of and I don't want you to know about. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how my children, and I sure don't know how my wife. I mean, she, I, I almost think I should encourage them to go to Bethlehem. Because they're not going to want to sit here and listen to me, knowing me as well as they do. They know my faults. They know my failures. They know my weaknesses. They know my sin. They are more well acquainted with my sin nature than you are. You know, as much as I wish we could spend more time together, and we probably should try to get together more often, you're still only going to be with me a very small percentage of the time of my life each week. Even if we spent... You know, uh, a full day together uh, in, in time and full 24 hours uh, sometimes scattered through the week together, you'd still only be with me one-seventh of the time. They're with me 100% of the time. They know my faults. They know my failures. And the more familiar you are with somebody, the more likely you are to be offended at them when they get up and try to tell you something. <clears throat> Offended there is a word that I find very interesting. It, it comes from the Greek word scandalizo, which sounds a lot like scandalized, doesn't it? Scandalized. That's, that's, and that is where we get our word scandalized. And it, it simply means to, uh, uh, to, to place a stumbling block in front of or to, uh, to put an impediment in the way where others can trip and fall. And that's when it's personalized, it's... They are, they are scandalizing themselves. They are offended in themselves. They have placed a stumbling block in the way of them believing what Jesus was teaching to them. But you know, I'm so thankful Brother Buddy has preached recently several times about preaching and preachers uh, because he set forth some clear principles from the Word of God. One of the most important being that that what you're seeing up here in me, if I'm able to preach, is a treasure. <laughs> I know I don't look like a treasure. But the reason, I, the reason you don't really see me as a treasure is because I'm not the treasure. The treasure is within me. It is within me as an earthen vessel, but it's an earthen vessel. The treasure is in an earthen vessel, and that means that there are times I'm going to mess up. There are times I'm going to say things wrong. There are times when unintentionally I'm going to offend you. I, I truly will tell you I have no intention to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to be offended. I believe that peacemakers are what we ought to be. It's not my purpose to make you mad. But there will be times when I may say it wrong or I may say it in the wrong spirit. And yes, there are times when I do get mad. And I spout off things that I shouldn't say at the moment with an intention to be mean or ugly. God forbid I ever do that to anybody here. But my point is this. Is even when I do that, that's certainly something I shouldn't be, but I shouldn't be doing. But there's still, that doesn't negate the treasure that has been placed in men who are called to preach. They're in earthen vessels. And... Peter put it this way. I, I like this because I, I understand that, that some men are called to go hundreds or thousands of miles away to 
pastor churches. I'm not, I'm not denigrating. Brother Buddy has done that. I'm not denigrating that at all. But that doesn't have to be the only way it works. Because Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort. And when Paul went places, he ordained elders there in that place. I mentioned it, I think, this morning. But one of the, one of the things that I think that, in general, the primitive Baptist work in Africa has been doing right is, is not sending men over there to live for 10 years, uh, but ordaining elders among them that can lead them in, in the ways that they need to be led under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. And, and I say that to say that, and, and, and I don't, let me, let me also preface this with saying you treat me with, with so much more respect than I deserve. You treat me so well here, and I'm so thankful for you. I, I, this is not me telling you you need to change the way you're dealing with me, because you do, I, I couldn't ask for a better treatment than I get here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. But be careful that we don't ever uh, disrespect a minister because we know him too well. <laughs> now, now, let me change, let me make sure that you understand the one caveat there. If I'm acting like a child of the devil, don't call me to be your pastor. <laughs> if I'm living in open sin and just continually causing problems and strife, that's, one, that's different. But if a man is trying to fulfill the calling that he has just because he's familiar, doesn't matter. In other words, don't be offended when I preach something to you that reproves you or rebukes you. Don't be offended by that if it's coming from the Word of God. The only question is whether this preacher is being faithful to the Word of God. Does it offend you? Well, if I'm being offensive, that's one thing. But if the Word of God is offending you, that's a totally different thing. Your problem is not with me, it's with God. <clears throat> Your problem is not with Brother Buddy, it's with God. Because he's the one that wrote the Word. So the question is not whether whether you know me too well or, or you know the preacher too well. The question is whether that man is being faithful to God's word. And now, now to get back to Jesus, I want you to also remember this. He wasn't doing anything wrong. We're told in one place, he hath done all things well, and yet they were offended in him, which is a lesson to us. Again, that we have to be so careful not to let our preconceived notions and our, our understanding, our knowledge, rather, of, of, of the background of people taint the way we hear what they have to say. And then I want you to notice this. Remember, his power was not diminished, and even though his authority was disrespected, he was still able, because we see here, it says he could there, in verse 5, do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Now, that's just kind of a little innocuous statement thrown in there, but what if you were one of those sick folk? What if you were one of those sick Well, he just healed a few sick folk. Man, if I was one of those sick folk, I'd say, hey, he healed me. <laughs> he healed me. I had cancer, and I'm, I'm healed now. I, I couldn't walk, and now I can leap, and I can praise the Lord. I couldn't talk, and now I can preach. I couldn't see, and now I can see. That would be a glorious thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
And notice what happened. Notice the, the point here is that there were still some people there that were faithful. See, he didn't do these things because he, he didn't... Uh, he didn't not heal people because he was not able, but he didn't heal them because they didn't have faith. But there were some that did. <laughs> there were some that did believe in him. There were some that did trust in him, and they experienced the benefit of his power and his glory. He still visited those that would meet him by faith. Beloved, I want to tell you, there is no promise in the word of God to you if you don't have faith. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't believe in Him, there's not one promise in the Word of God that applies to you. Now, don't get me wrong. Does that mean you're going to die and go to hell? No, it doesn't. But you can't claim the promise. Hey, I'm going to be in heaven. Think about this. <laughs> Look at the world around you today. Look at what we're experiencing in the world. It's turmoil. It's, it's pestilence. It's riots. It's... It's all kind of upheavals in our government. we got an election coming up that looks to be one of the most rancorous elections in our history, at least in my lifetime. Things are uncertain and in turmoil. How much comfort can I take from the Word of God if I don't believe in the Word of God? Big fat zero. Those promises don't help you at all. They don't help me at all if I don't believe in them. Now, on the other hand, if I trust that no matter what happens, the Lord is not going to leave me nor forsake me, that there's something, that I'm a stranger in a strange land, sojourning in a strange land, hey, I can take great comfort even in the midst of these turmoils. It doesn't mean that because I don't believe, I'm going to hell. He asked that question in Romans chapter 3. He said, what if some did not believe? Shall they, their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? You know what the answer is? God forbid. The faith of God is never of none effect. Just like the power of God here is not of none effect. But the display of His power, the application of His, of his grace, the, the comfort of His presence, it's not something we're going to enjoy if we don't exercise the faith that we have in the new birth. And I want you to notice here, it says in verse 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. I read of two places or two different times in the Word of God that it said of Jesus that he marveled while on earth. Over in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9, he marvels at the great faith of the centurion. He marvels at the great faith of the centurion who came to Jesus and said, My my servant's sick, and he said, I'll come heal him. He said, you don't have to come, Lord. You just speak the word, and it'll be so. And Jesus marveled at that great faith. But here, it's said that he marveled at their lack of faith. You know, you could cause Jesus to marvel, depending on whether you exercise great faith or whether you show little faith. <laughs> I hope, we're, I, hope I, can, I can cause Jesus to marvel in the right kind of way. And he says, it says here that he marveled because of their unbelief and he went around about the villages teaching. One thing I want you to pay attention to as you read the Gospels, there may be places where Jesus displays his divine power by healing, by parting or by, by calming the storm, by doing all sorts of miraculous things, turning water into wine. But, but sometimes he doesn't. 
but everywhere he goes, he teaches. Everywhere he goes, he is telling them things that are important. You know, that's what teaching, that's, that tells me that teaching is the most important part of the kingdom of God. I know there are people today, there, there are some denominations that place emphasis on all kinds of hoopla, you know, all kinds of, of, of uh, uh, public demonstrations of things that they consider to be spirituality, when really what's the most important thing is the teaching of the Word of God. I'm not leaping over pews tonight. I'm not rolling in the floor tonight. I'm not, I'm not engaging in all of that, but I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to teach you. I hope it's in power and demonstration of the Spirit. I hope it stirs you up. But whether it does or not, if it's teaching from the Word of God, that's what we need to be listening to. Now, Jesus is at home. He goes home to his country and his countrymen, and they pretty much reject him. They say, we're not going to listen to you because you're just a nobody. We know who you are. You're the illegitimate son of this woman, Mary, over here. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. We know who your family is, and you're, you're just a carpenter. You're a, you know, it'd be the equivalent today of, of somebody coming in and saying, you're just a construction worker. You don't have a seminary degree. What are we going to listen? We're not going to put you up to preach. You know, one of the greatest preachers I've ever known was a carpenter. Sonny Piles, he was a farmer. He was a carpenter. He did, he did manual labor. One of the greatest preachers of our time. <laughs> Had no college degree that I'm aware of. I know some preachers, Brother Buddy, that have college degrees that I wouldn't preach in the pulpit. <laughs> they said, we're rejecting you. So what does Jesus do? You know what I'd do? I go pile into bed, cover my head with the covers and start sucking my thumb. Say, man, they don't want to hear me. Man, I've been rejected. That's terrible. Uh, I'm just so embarrassed. I'm just so discouraged. You know, that's one of my biggest problems is not, not even really, I don't like to be embarrassed, but I've learned a long time ago, you, if you're going to be a minister, you're going to have to be a fool for Christ's sake. You're going to have to make an effort. You're going to go to somebody and you're going to make an effort to be a peacemaker and they're going to reject you. They're going to do that. They're going to, they're going to walk away from you. They're not going to listen to you. And you're going to feel like a fool. But you know what? We're not here. We're not professionals. We're not called to be professional. I'm not a professional preacher. You know, some places I think they have the ministers association. And the, the ministers are up there in the high echelons of the, of the, of the society. You know, they're, they're meeting with presidents in some cases. And listen, I don't expect to ever meet with a president because I'm a primitive Baptist preacher. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd be glad to. I'd love to meet with our current president. I'd meet with anybody. I'd meet with his opponent. I'd meet with anybody and preach to them the unadulterated truths of God's word. I don't expect to do that because you know what? I'm not a professional. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. That's what I am. That's what we all are. We're, 
We're, you know, we put it out there. We preach to people. They, we, they, we preach it over and over, and they, and they live their lives however they want to. They don't, re, they don't accept it. They don't listen to it. But I'll tell you, every once in a while one does. <laughs> I love, I thank you so much for the money and the, and the, and the uh, material things that you give me. I'm so thankful for, uh, for the uh, things that you contribute. But I'll tell you, beloved, if you want to make this preacher happy, then, then, then sh- show me or tell me that there's something that I preach that has helped you. They say, hey, this has changed my life, preacher. This has made a difference in the way I deal with people. And listen, you have. I'm not saying you haven't. There are many of you that have, and I thank you for it. It's, it's a glorious thing to see the transformation in children of God, to see the growth in children of God. You can I'd pay you to get to come down here and preach, to get to see that. But discouragement's what gets to me. Discouragement. And, and I think if I went to my people at home, I mean, this is kind of where I'm at, isn't it? I'm here at home, two miles from where I grew up. And if y'all all came to me and said, look, we, we appreciate you, Brother Chris, but we know you. We grew up with you, some of us, and we just, we're not going to listen to you anymore. I think the first thing I'd want to do is go home and crawl in the bed. That's not what Jesus did. And by the way, that's not the proper response to rejection in the ministry. Young men, older men, Brother Buddy, <laughs> I, I, I really am preaching. I'm really, when I'm telling Brother Buddy about these things, it's like trying to tell Noah about the flood. You know, Brother Buddy's, Brother Buddy's experienced them. But, I, but it, it, doesn't help to be, it doesn't hurt to be reminded, does it? <laughs> Uh, but but you you <laughs> the proper response to rejection, especially for a preacher in their ministry, but also for the congregation, because you have a ministry too. It's different than the preachers, yes. But you have a ministry. You have a, a testimony that you can give out there in the world. The res- the proper response to rejection in the ministry is what more ministry. <laughs> More ministry, going out more. And sometimes, I'll tell you, that rejection can even be a springboard for an even more effective evangelism. Here, Jesus didn't go home. He didn't pile into bed. He didn't cover his head. He didn't whine to mama. He didn't start sucking his thumb and moping around and doing all these things. He said, come here, guys. You 12, come here. I'm fixing to send you out somewhere else. They don't want to hear, but we're going to send it somewhere else. And it says in verse 7, He called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and put not on two coats. The response to the rejection was to send them out to do more ministry. Beloved, when you're rejected in your ministry, you should continue to minister. When you're rejected in your efforts to evangelize, to spread the gospel, to share the gospel with people, guess what you should do? You should try to do it more. Don't stop. Don't let one. And you know, that's another problem I have. I can have a hundred people come to me and say, man, that was an awesome sermon. Brother Chris, you're the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I could have somebody come to me and say, I've never heard the like, sounding like angels uh, speaking from the pulpit. And one of you, one of you come up and say, I, just, I don't, Brother Chris, that just, you were off on that. 
You know what I think about all week? It's not the hundred people that have bragged on me. It's the one that criticized. I've had that happen. Hey, brother, buddy, you know, we've been, we've been to meetings. I've been to meetings, and there, there's, a, there's a particular preacher that uh, every time I'm at a meeting, uh, it doesn't matter. I can be the most eloquent and the most sound there can be. There's something I'm going to preach wrong, and he's going to tell me about it. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to be that preacher, by the way, and uh, you shouldn't be that church member. You should be thinking about Now, if somebody gets up here and preaches rank error, you need to tell them about it, or at least tell the preacher and let him handle it. Hopefully, I'll, I'll recognize it and will. <laughs> but I get down when that one person says something bad, <laughs> although a hundred have talked good about it. But here's what Here's what Jesus says. He says, you go out, and here is the proper way to minister. I like this. Verses 8 through 11 that we just, that we just read. Verses 8 and 9, really. The first thing he says in verses 8 and 9 is, when you go out to minister, don't carry any baggage there with you. Don't be taking your earthly baggage, because earthly aids won't help. He says, don't take anything for your journey, just a staff, something to lean on. Don't take any script, that's kind of like a purse and that sort of thing, and don't take any bread or money. Don't worry about where you're going to get food. Don't worry about where you're going to get clothing. He said, don't even put on two coats, just go with what you got. You don't, you know, I, I, I like to, I spend more time sometimes preparing to minister than actually minister. You ever done that? Okay, I'm going to talk to this person. Let me get this in order first. I'm going to talk to that person, but let me let me fix this problem first. Let me, you know, it's kind of like cleaning up my office. It's kind of like or going upstairs to study in my office. I'll go to study in my office upstairs, and I'll spend 45 minutes cleaning things up and 15 minutes studying. I get in there, well, I need to put that up. Okay, let me here's my Bible, but gosh, I need to clean that. Let me clean that up, okay? And once I get that put up, I'll get back to it. I need to pay that bill. Let me go do that right quick online, and then I'm going to come back to my study. And before you know it, I've spent like 10% of the time that I'm up there just doing nothing that's really beneficial to the ministry. It's amazing how simple it is. He didn't say, you better go to seminary. You better go study your word. Now, you do need to study it. That needs to be done, no question. But he didn't say get out there and try to figure out all the mysteries of Revelation and try to, try to work on the, uh, make sure you know what the, the little horn of Daniel is and the little, uh, uh, the, the little uh, uh, goat that goes up. And make sure you know what the ram is. He didn't say don't get into that. Go with what you've got. Go with what you know, the basic truths of, hey, Jesus is the Son of God and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the truth is that He came to save His people from their sins. Don't be taking a bunch of baggage with you. Don't be, don't be worrying about what you're, going, what you're going to get paid. You reckon I'll be able to make it? Reckon I'll be able to afford to eat? Don't worry about it. Go out there and preach. They may run me off if I preach the truth. They may run you off, but the Lord will take care of you. Don't go out there with a bunch of preconceived biases either. If you, if you want to know about that, talk to Jonah one day. Talk to Jonah. And by the way, Jonah, we think about the book of Jonah as the only time that Jonah appears on the scene. But back in the book of 2 Kings, 
you read about, I can't remember the exact address, but uh, Brother Dillon and Brother John Morgan and I were talking about that the other day. He actually prophesied to one of the kings. He gave him a prophecy. The king fulfilled it, and, and some, things, some cities were retaken there. And so he had a, he had a profitable ministry. He had a profitable uh, prophet ship, if you will. <laughs> but then he, he just hated those Ninevites. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna preach to them. He wasn't gonna do it. He wasn't. He, he had this pre. He had all this baggage that he was bringing with him. You cannot have baggage. Well, I don't like those people. That person offended me in the past. I'm not gonna preach to him. That that family has never treated my family right. Those folks have been living a life that is contrary to. To everything in the Bible, and I just want judgment to fall on them. <clears throat> you can't do that. Don't be taking any baggage. Don't be worrying about how you're going to get there. Don't be worrying about how the Lord is going to work it out. I tend to want to have all of these details figured out. But the Lord is going to take care of the details. But then you'll notice also, in a proper way of ministering, it says in verse 10, he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is just coming off of a a grand rejection in his home city. You reckon he's trying to teach them something here? So not only should you not carry any baggage there with you when you go to minister, you also shouldn't carry any baggage back with you when you come back. Don't, don't let it get you down that you've got earthly detractors, that you've got people that reject the gospel. Don't let it don't let it hinder, because earthly detractors cannot hinder the kingdom work unless you let it. Unless you let it. Have you had a bad experience in this city? Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next. Bringing it to our modern day, have you had a bad experience? Saying, I tried to minister to this person, I tried to give them something, or I tried to, uh, I tried to, uh, to tell them about the gospel, and they just were ugly to me, and they were just, I'm not, that's it, I'm done, no. You don't have that right. If Jesus could go on and minister after his own hometown had rejected him, then what right have you and I to stop ministering just because somebody was ugly to us? See? Now, as we bring this to a close, I really probably ought to spend another hour on this next section. But, but I want you to notice something so important here. Not only should you minister in a certain way, but you should deliver a certain message. Notice the message of the kingdom. And they went out, verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. Men should repent. I find it very ironic and awesome, too, that this is the point we're at in, in, in the gospel of Mark in, in, in light of the things that are going on in the world around us. You know what would stop the problems of all the riots? That would stop the problem of all the race 
inequality. You know what would fix every problem in every situation in this world today? If men would repent. If men would repent. That's from white to black to brown to whatever ethnicity you are, to whatever political persuasion you're in, to whatever office you hold, whatever job you are engaged in, if men would repent, we would have such a better place to live. That's the answer to what's going on in the world today. Notice that this is the central message of the gospel kingdom. Repent. Repent. And that's not just theoretical. The word metanoio there is the Greek word, and it means to change one's mind, to think differently, to reconsider. Okay, Now there is a repentance that is brought to us, a change of mind that is brought to us in the new birth, but that's not what I'm talking about right here. Although you need to understand that we have to have that new birth in order for that repentance to even be possible. You have to be born again because otherwise there's no change, no possibility of changing your mind. Can the leopard change his spots? Uh, the Bible says he can't unless the Lord works on him from outside. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now what does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sins? He goes on to tell you. He says, In time past you walked. You know, deadness is always manifest. Do you ever notice that? The deadness of a person spiritually is always manifest in some way. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I see several words in here that describe me in my earthly self, in my flesh. I see these words still describing me in my human nature. Disobedience, uh, uh, lusts of the flesh, desires of the flesh and of the mind, wrath. All of these things describe me in my natural self. Over in the book of Romans, the first chapter, Paul gets even more plain about it. He says uh, uh, in, in verse... Uh, uh, in verse uh, 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And he goes on to talk about the things that, 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 that describe man in the flesh. It says, When they knew God, verse 21, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And there, down in verse 24, it says, God gave them up to uncleanness. Boy, that describes my flesh. I don't know about yours. Through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. Don't we see that everywhere today? And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Man, I'm telling you, if there's ever been creature worship, it's existing today. People are worshiping that created thing. They're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping their freedom of will. Their, freed, their, their, uh, uh, their equal rights. That, you know, if you understand what a depraved sinner you are, you're not too worried about the assertion of your rights. You're more worried about how you're trampling on other people's rights. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. 
And look at what he describes as happening. Do we see this today? For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And again, likewise the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. This describes a particular sin. But let me tell you, beloved, that's not the only sin, <laughs> okay? This particular sin is one that's prevalent today. It's one that's out there today. It's in your face today. Why do, people, why do ministers focus upon the sin of homosexuality? Because it's in your face wherever you go. But I'll tell you this, it's not the only sin out there. There is adultery rampant. There is fornication rampant. There is lying and cheating and stealing rampant. There is, uh, there is flaunting of the laws. There is, uh, uh, there is dishonoring of parents. There is abuse of children. There's everything you could think about. Beloved, that describes man in his natural state. You know what the answer is to all of this? Repent. Repent. Now, before you get to thinking I'm some kind of Arminian up here telling dead alien sinners that they need to repent in order to go to heaven, that's not at all what I'm talking about. And that's not what Jesus and his disciples were preaching. See, there was a, there was a category of people, a world that, like Brother Buddy preached to us this morning, of people in his day that completely rejected everything that he said. Didn't care one thing. He wasn't preaching to them. I'm not preaching to anybody that doesn't want to listen. It's not my job to preach to people that won't listen. It, it's my job to preach it whether they listen or not, but it's not my job to go running out through the town trying to find people that, that I believe are not children of God and try to browbeat them over the head and beat into their minds these truths of God's Word because all I can ever do in that case it's cut them to the heart. And what happened to Stephen when he cut them to the heart is they stoned him. But when the power of God is present, when the Holy Spirit is present, and the new birth occurs, they can be, they can be pricked in the heart. But not by me, only by God. And so the central message of the gospel kingdom and the message that we need as God, who, who does it apply to? <laughs> who does it apply to? I'll just put it that way. The central message of the kingdom of God is that God's children ought to repent. I'm going to steal Brother Buddy's message from Wednesday night, but back over in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It's a very familiar passage, but I want you to listen. I'm, and I'm giving, I'm giving credit where it's due. I'm not going to plagiarize completely. I'm going to tell you that Brother Buddy is the one that first preached this, okay? But oh, what a message it was. If all the reprobates out there shall humble themselves and pray? No. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people... Brethren, I trust that's every one of you out there under the sound of my voice. I know it's me. And I believe it's all of us here. I don't believe you're here tonight because you're a reprobate that has no spiritual nature. I believe you're here tonight because you have a spiritual nature because you've been born of the Spirit of God. So notice who the burden is on. My people, which are called by my name. You know, I'm not even preaching to those that are out there wandering in the world that aren't associated with one of God's churches. <laughs> I'm talking to people, and he's talking to people that are called by the name of God. 
That's the members of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. That's us, beloved, shall humble themselves and pray. You know, we won't have to worry about civil rights and, and, and the violation of those rights if we will humble ourselves. We're not worried about people stepping on us. As Brother Lonnie Mazingo said one time, hey, if I think I'm a rug and people walk on me, what's the problem? That's what happens to rugs, right? <laughs> Why are you upset that people are, you, if you're humbled, if you're, if you're down on your knees in your spirit and you understand I am nothing, Beloved, you and I are nothing and less than nothing in the sight of God. I don't deserve any good thing. I don't deserve for you to treat me right. I don't deserve for, to not get cut off in traffic. <laughs> That's a big one for me. I get mad about that. But I, can't, I don't deserve any better. I don't deserve not to get cheated or not to get lied to. I don't deserve it. Humble myself. Humble yourselves and pray. Pray to God. Lord, when you, get, when you get lifted up in pride, when you get offended, fall on your knees and remember, Lord, I am an um, I'm nothing. I should be humble. And Lord, I need you to vindicate me. I can't vindicate myself. But it doesn't stop there. Brother Buddy pointed this out Wednesday night. It also says, seek my face. We like to say, humble yourselves and pray and God will turn this country around. No, humble yourselves, pray and seek my face. Learn about God. Learn about the truths of His Word. Be sincere, yes. But be sincerely right, not sincerely wrong about God, as Brother Buddy said. Here's the one that gets me. And turn from their wicked ways. Quit letting that sin creep up on you and doing it over and over and over again. Quit doing that. I know, it's, I know it's tough. Nobody knows it better than I, how tough it is. But he says, if you'll do this, he said, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's what it means to repent. That's a good description of what it means to repent. I don't have time to go any farther down that road, but maybe one day the Lord will lead me or Brother Buddy to preach on repentance itself but that's what's required that's the message of the gospel i want to show you something else so before we before we bring this to a close you say well i prayed that prayer I, you know I'm, I, I feel bad about what i did I, and i have i've been there i feel bad i hate it i hate i did it sometimes we say lord i, I made a little error i'm so sorry forgive me i'll try not to do it again that's not really the true spirit of repentance. Look at Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. And I don't, I'm not, don't have time tonight to go through it. Basically, there was rampant sin in the nation of Israel at this time. After they had come back from the captivity. And when Ezra heard about it, <clears throat> first thing he did is he sat down astonished for hours. He just, he couldn't believe, he just, it, it overwhelmed him to the point he was almost in a trance. And he sat down and meditated on it. And I know he was just working himself up into a frenzy because here's what we find in chapter 9 and verse 5. At the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness. And that word heaviness there, boy, that, that's like an affliction. He was afflicted by the sin of himself and his people. 
And he said, And having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass has grown up into the heavens. I'm not going to go on there because there's some specific sins he's talking about that I don't want to get into. But I'll tell you this, that ought to be our response to every sin in our lives. You know, I hadn't seen in my life that I'm getting better and better. What I've seen is that I'm getting worse and worse. And there are times when I just sit down astonished over that. Over, you know, I don't get astonished at your sins. Boy, I get astonished at mine. Hmm. Well, Romans, if you want to read some more about that, I'm not going to turn there tonight. Turn to Romans chapter 7. You say, well, that was the Old Testament. He was a priest. This is New Testament. This is grace. Read Romans chapter 7 sometime. Read about how Paul struggled with sin. And how ultimately he exclaimed, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, to wrap this up tonight, I've gone longer than I intended, but let me just say this. First of all, there is no greater message needed today than the message repent. All men everywhere should repent. That literally means all men everywhere, but it especially and really only applies in the sense of their ability to do it, to children of God. My people should repent. We should repent. I, I, I don't know of any rampant sin among the congregation. I don't know of anything that's, that you're doing that, that you're, you're not out there demonstrating and, and violating laws and anything like that. But I'll tell you, beloved, I promise you, if you look at your life in the mirror of God's Word, there is some need for you and I to repent. We need more repentance. We don't need less. We haven't reached a level, oh, well, I've reached my maximum level of repentance for this week. I'm going to stop. No, every day you need to be repenting more and more. The older I get, the more repentance I feel like I need. <clears throat> Number two, there's, only, there's no better way, no greater way to deliver this message than through the simplicity of the Word of God. It's a simple message and it should be delivered in a simple manner he sent them out two by two he said yo just go preach what do you do should we create a youth group should we create a a sunday school should we build a building or something like that to, to a, a big temple or a big family life center no just go preach go preach i i, I know i'm thankful for the building don't get me wrong i'm so thankful but you know the whole purpose of this building? This whole building was built just so I could preach <laughs> or some preacher could preach. That's why it was built. It wasn't built so we could have uh, some kind of political convention or some kind of uh, youth gathering. It was built so me and other called ministers of the gospel could preach to God's children. That's all, that's all Jesus ever did. He said, go preach. Go preach. And finally, the question we ask to start with is, can you go home? Can you go home? Well, the answer is simple. Yes and no. <laughs> okay? There's no reason that Jesus shouldn't have been able to go back to his hometown and preach to them and them accept it. There's no reason 
Okay, they should have done that. We must have faith. We must exercise. We have faith given to us in the new birth. We must exercise that faith. We should accept the word of God as it is. We should believe the word of God as it is. And when we do, there is no limit to how many ministers can be called out of a home church. There's no limit to how many preachers can come back who maybe have moved off. It doesn't matter where you're preaching. If you have faithful people, then yes, you can go home. But in truth, we're never going to be home in this world. There's always going to be problems. So the real answer is, is that in this life, you can't go home. It's not going to ever be just perfect. You know, sometimes we get into this mindset of, oh, I just wish things were like they were when old elder so-and-so was preaching here. You remember those meetings we used to have. You know, right now, I have to say, I'm looking back to those pre-coronavirus meetings that we had. I'm thinking, oh, you just remember how full the house was and how many people were here and how, oh, there was so much faithfulness here. Now it's different. People aren't coming back. They aren't able to come back. Uh, people are not interested. You know, there was a time when a major event would happen like this and people in general out there would seem to repent and come back to the houses of God. That doesn't seem to be happening today. I'm not talking about our people. I'm talking about in general God's people out in the world. But I'll tell you this, beloved, it doesn't matter. I believe tonight I'm preaching to a faithful people. I'm okay to be home here, but I'll never be really at home. It'll never be the same as it always was until we get to heaven. <laughs> in that country we're searching for, that place we're going to, then we will be home where we belong. Praise God for His great promises. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.